as well. So I watched the watched live stream. Mm-hmm. So it went up and it flew for how long? I think it's just a few minutes. Okay. But it, w- it goes up, but on less engines than it's supposed to, and then it hovers and it does the belly flop. Yeah. Going, going like sideways, sideways down to reduce speed yeah. and then attempting to flip over and land safely. Yeah. And I think the, the what they're experimenting with right now is to get that to work. But it exploded again. Like the previous one. Right? Yeah, like the previous one. And, and as you said, like it's quite amazing how uh, Elon is setting a standard that he's completely visible or transparent or with his himself trying. And everybody's, as you also said, cheering on it. It's like, it's a new mentality. It, it says something about, you know, we need to try, we need to learn. It's part of the game. Yeah, and I think, I mean, as you said, it's brilliant PR and marketing and brand building to involve and create ambassadors. Mm-hmm. And also, obviously, that's what he did with Tesla. Start top from the top yeah. mm-hmm. to have people who are very influential to buy in with, to the brand. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go to market plan that he has. And I think, you know, PR and communication wise, it's really hard to think of anyone. Perhaps Apple can in some ways uh, top that at some point. But I think the transparency that he has to seems to have, at least, you know, with showing failures as well and not like turning statistics around in in weird ways. But, really but, bring, but, but Tesla is it, a new level because he's doing it so it feels so casual. He's, he's tweeting, he's doing his demos and all that. And everybody's just, everybody's just genuinely curious. So it doesn't feel like a marketing ploy at all. I mean, that's the trick, isn't it? And this is, isn't that the trick, right? Or, I mean, you're the expert here. Uh, yeah, uh, I think in his, in his case, and this is just my guess, I think it's all about him really believing yeah. and I, hoping that he can do this in this time frame he, time frame he states it. Mm. But then I think he's so rational and just sees it purely engineering, but and he's not afraid of failing. And and did you see the the, the first? Dri- have you seen the one? Did did you did you do the first autonomous drive from LA to San Francisco? No, I didn't see that. Okay, it's a YouTube clip uh, where where basically it's him talking at the investors or like a press release, and then it's like sped up how you see a car. And basically, it's, he's talking about the technology. He's talking about what he has promised and like this. And he's like, he's, he doesn't come across like a marketing guy. He comes across like an engineer with his baby that, he's, yeah. you know, wants to make this work. And it's like, I'm going to make it work. You didn't think I'm going to make it work with the roaster. I delivered like this. Oh, we have, and he's completely transparent of, you know, the tweaks and tricks and, you know, and why it's hard or not. And it's so, on. I, I, I feel it's, Authentic. I mean, like, even if it's doing it marketing-wise or if it's real, it goes through, right? Yeah, I think fantastic. You t- I think you bring your finger on what's the key there. That he's so passionate, yes, and that shines through. If you're trained mm. to just deliver a message, people won't be touched. Uh, I would say it's actually also really well thought through the way he actually communicates with the media. But who knows? Um, I mean, for sure, he, he is very knowledgeable and authentic, as you say. But but I, but I, I believe you, I think there are some very smart strategies yes, plays going on here. It's very yeah. tactically placed, all this. But since he's coming across the way he's doing it, and and if we if you hear his launches, I mean, like if Steve Jobs was the perfect Aristotle rhetorics and with mm. the perfect flow, 
he stumbles on words, yeah, you know. Exactly. He doesn't care, but it works, right? Because it's this. So I think it's super. I think it's choreographer. You know, it's strategically placed, but yeah. the way he does it, I think it shines through with the passion. Mm, yeah. That I think works really well. Well, speaking of people that's great in communicating in whatever way they do it, welcome here, Kai. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you know, we've met a number of times, of course, and worked together and, and done so many awesome things. You know, meeting politicians, Almedalen, of course, and uh, meeting politicians in the Swedish Parliament, and uh, it's been a, a lot of fun uh, in so many ways. And in some way, you, you have always have this ability to. I think make people feel safe in some way. Uh, well, well, I don't know about that. I hope I try to. I think it's a lot about communi- communicating, and I think I take that from you as well. Being able to, with the lack of better words, dumb it down and make it easy. <laughs> yeah. Um, short. I, I think actually you are one of the best communicator I've ever met and seen. So um, uh, it's a great pleasure to have you here. Thanks. Uh, Kai, and uh, how how would you describe yourself if you were to give a quick background about yourself? Oh wow! I think that uh, the question what what you would do for a living is becoming increasingly hard because uh, to put a title on yourself is increasingly hard as you do more and more things. But I I started back in '99 in the web web agency world uh, mm. as a web developer and designer and. Mm. Worked for 20 years in the agency world in communications, but mainly digitally building products and services. And now, when I think back at, at it, I I realize I've worked for a very long time trying to come up with new ideas and change the way other people worked and face that fear and uh, the resistance of fear. Yeah, you have so many awesome quotes that I've heard and learned from you, and I hope we can go through a couple of them later. Oh, we like we like <laughs> quotes that can be turned into t-shirts. <laughs> That's been our gimmick, <laughs> and I like making t-shirts. Oh, oh, oh no, yeah. no, we have yeah. so we have match. a couple of we have we have a short list of t-shirts as one of the ways how we closed the season finale last oh, year. Wow. What what's our t-shirt quotes? And it's up to you, Goran. We still need a t- couple of t-shirts. I'm looking for a sponsor first. <laughs> sponsor first, and then maybe we'll have some prices coming up. I don't know. <laughs> But please, back. We'll fix it. Yeah, so agency world, and you work always with a bit of digital communication, right? Or Yeah, digital advertising for a long, long period of time that eventually turned into digital business transformation. Yeah. I mean, we started at one agency, one of the top agencies in Sweden, doing banners. Eight years later, we were business consultants working with boards and management groups, helping them transform into the digital mm. world. Mm. And I still remember H&M mm. being kind of, kind of flabbergasted that we suggested they should start working online. Yeah, really? Yeah. What year was this approximately? A long time ago, I think 2006 or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I know I had here. some discussion with IKEA at that time as well. You know, they should actually sell stuff online. No way! It's going to be the paper magazine that's going to stick yeah. forever. But it's so. interesting. I mean, it's the same cycle. It is just sped up now. Yeah. And now the cycle of AI. Yeah, exa- exactly. It's the same cycle as AI. Where back then everyone was like, "No, digital. That's just something that IT can do." Mm. And now AI. That's something that our research or IT department should do. Mm. Yeah, it's like uh, what really drives innovation. You know, start in the corner, the outlier, and builds up to be becoming ma- mainstream. Mm-hmm. But you never know which one of the outliers is actually going to work. But you have to keep finding these outliers, and, and otherwise you will be 
overrun, I guess, by, by other people that invent more. And yeah. I, I must ask, what's your schooling before you started the agency world? Uh, no, I I just finished high school. Me and my friends started a web agency when we were in... So you're the entrepreneur school? Yeah, exactly. When we were 17, we had cool. to go to my friend's mom who worked at a bank and get get approval to start a, a company. So you've done the entrepreneurial... Yeah, for a short while, and then I joined the big agency world, yeah. where where that network formed yeah. of people who now know each other, but are in all tech companies in Sweden, yeah. which I think happens now again, which is fantastic to see, but almost globally, because there's so few, and you get to know each other, and all of a sudden... And, and are we on, on the peak of the internet bubble now, like 99... 2000 or is it earlier or later oh wow I, i'm not sure about the bubble thing <laughs> because i think the value is actually it wasn't that. a bubble but when when the first peak came yeah if i, if I flip it like that i, I agree with you actually so it wasn't the, a bubble it was really? used it dropped like crazy in 2001 um it, it was a bubble in terms of inflated stock price value yes. of a couple of uh companies <laughs> And it's it is typical hype curve, right? Yeah. We, 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 we peaked and we tried to do things that, you know, that on VAP phones. <laughs> you remember that? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and that now we're doing it by far much more. But of course, with the right tech has caught up and we have matured. So in this way, it's, it's maybe the peak and then the yeah. classical trough and then back up to real productivity. Yeah, no, I think I think definitely we're going to see that. I don't... I don't think the same. We're gonna, not going to fail, or people are not going to fail for the same reasons. I think in one, AI, you mean? No, in AI. Mm-hmm. But one thing I think differs is that if you pursue AI, a lot of other value will occur that are just pure digitization value, mm. right? Which I think is sound. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And what Corona has really helped with as well. Yes, definitely. Right. Yeah. Awesome. So you continue working with the, the agency world, and um, what was the next big steps that you, you made after that? For the last few years in the agency world, we we worked a lot with private equity and venture capital firms, kind of advising and working with their investments. Uh, so you, we naturally came closer to that world, mm. and then one of my creative directors. Found, was one of the partners who founded EQT Ventures. Right. So he asked me to come over and help Luca, the founder and CEO of Peltarion, with one with the narrative of one big presentation that he held at a huge investor meeting with 600 investors from all over the world. Yeah. So I worked with Luca for two weeks. I had never heard about AI, or I've heard of, I'd heard about AI, but I didn't I didn't have the notion about what it was. For to me, it was science fiction. And then I worked with Luca for two weeks, and that the end of those two weeks, I told Luca, look, I, this is the most exciting thing I've ever heard of. I want, can I, I want to be part of it, no matter what. So I was the least uh, casual, professional <laughs> <laughs> pitch ever. Try, try to stay cool. No, yeah. No. No. But this was back in 2016 or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 2016. There was Luca Mons. Who else was on the train at uh, this point? I mean, you were. Yeah. You, Daniel. I think you were... Lars, I think, was yeah, the Lars, first one. Yeah. yeah. Deep Lars and Lars Moustache as well. Yeah. Lars Moustache. Yeah. I'm the seven rate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But before that, you also worked at Greatworks, right? So yeah, I worked for Greatworks for for eight years in total, four years mm-hmm. in two different batches. Oh. What is What What do they do? Uh, they used to be in a digital advertising agency, ended up as a digital business transformation agency, uh, and then kind of closed shop 
three years ago when they were incorporated into a bigger agency network. Mm-hmm. <coughs> and Daniel from Peltorian worked there as well. Yeah, me and Daniel, yeah. who's head of engineer, head of development engineering yeah. at Peltorian, we worked together at different agencies for over ten years. All right. So yeah, it's a small world. It is a small world, and then you meet people that you get in energy from. Mm. Yeah. Cool, um, and then you joined Peltorian as well, and um, you started speaking about that, and you met Luca, and you helped him. What for? What to make a presentation to all the investors? You said, or uh, f- yeah, EQT has an annual investor yeah. meeting for all the big investors who invest in their funds, yeah. and Luca was one of the main keynote speaker. Yeah, so. Yeah. Ted felt that he wanted to apply some advertising communication skills on top of the mm. AI skills, and then we packaged and packaged and packaged and worked on that, mm. which also made, was a great two-week work interview, I guess. Mm. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. And then you started at Patarn as well, and, and what did you work with mainly there? How would you describe that? I was uh, the brand and communication, head of brand and communication, yes. so working with developing the brand, and all the communication around it, the website, and yeah. working with the early sales materials. But very early also working very closely with you, yeah. running around the country and internationally yeah. networking and yeah, trying to yeah. push things. So many great moments there. Um, what are we talking about now, 2000 and... I think already 2016, the fall, we met, we had a few meetings with Swedish politicians. Yes. Because we discussed like, okay, we're going to sell AI out of Sweden. Okay, probably Sweden needs to have an AI credibility. Yes. So what's our national AI strategy? And we went around and met with some politicians and we came back realizing no one knew what AI was. But can you... Try to give away some secrets. In if you were to meet a politician or a person that may not know that much about AI, and and you really want to explain it as an, you know, in an authoritative way or a really clear way, without saying, you know, you don't want to sell necessarily or make yeah. it sound like that, but really try to explain, you know, because I think you do that so well. Do you have a trick, or how, how would you advise other people if they were to try to explain to someone else that this is a big thing? You should really you know, start thinking about this. Oh, wow. I think uh, try to imagine yourself in the other person's shoes mm. and also do the bar trick, uh, which so is the, what? The, the bar, trick. bar trick. The bar trick. If you can't speak like you're sitting in a bar, right. don't use that language. It, not, it must be natural. Mm. But I think most importantly, explain what AI can do. Mm. Take examples that people can understand and relate to. And that's, yeah, and that's something we've been struggling with because a lot of the examples have been brain tumor segmentation and a lot of other stuff that's already super advanced to most people. So it's like, yeah, okay, so we can do AI, we can do brain tumor segmentation a lot better with AI. Okay, so you're doing rocket science a little bit more <laughs> advanced. <laughs> No, so that's remember, actually a good way of putting it. Yeah. Why I are we failing in communication? Yeah. <laughs> I remember a discussion, with, I think it was with IT and Telecom, the branch organization, and I think you were part of it as well, and they had this kind of thing, AI is so awesome. But, you know, for a hairdresser, in reality, you know, what can AI really do for them? And I think you had uh, such an awesome answer, and I said, of course they're going to use it. I mean, how much administration do they do? You know, how many things can you do to find customers better? I mean, you could just, like, enumerate a number of examples of ordinary like working people and jobs and roles of course they have use of it it's not a rocket science kind of technology it's for everyone right yeah you remember no. was it uh, i'm not sure if i remember it correctly but 
I think it was that example, the IT yeah. and telecom. Yeah. And I think I probably that's what the first time I realized that I ha- there was some value to all those years in <laughs> in advertising, coming up with crazy ideas and understanding different mm. different challenges. Mm. But I to me it's been obvious from the start that everyone's gonna be able to use it. Yeah. And especially when we're talking about text and BERT, which we're probably going to talk about more. Uh, I would, I would <laughs> love to. <laughs> I don't, I'm not sure we should go there now, but I, I'm, I really want to explore with you, like, is the, the, the way the whole IT industry is set up around talking about hype and, and talking about, you know, inventing new cool acronyms, is that really helping communication or, or, or selling it or is actually uh, making it worse? I mean, like, maybe we don't go there now, but I think this is a quite yeah, important good. topic. Should we go there now? Yeah, sure. You, you see what I mean? Like uh, my understanding, uh, and, and even even what we want to do with this podcast is to demystify, is to talk talk plain language, and actually t- t- tell it is tell it for what it is. And over and over and over again, we get this inflated, you know, science science fiction storylines, or you know, and it's you know, is that helping? A lot of the marketing looks like that if you look at the big firms and the big vendors. And I, I get, I think they are killing it. I think they're, you know, making it worse. They're, they're, they're slowing it down. They're making it more obscure. They're making it harder for the customer to really understand. Okay, I, I get it. No big deal. It's difficult, but I kind of understand what I need to work on. Now they have no clue. No, no I, th- I think that's, I think you're, it's a very, very important area to discuss. And I think it's something that we're all guilty of that's mm. been around forever. I mean, this, the last 30 years, great to have been born a nerd mm-hmm. and VTech because yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. you get to work with cool stuff and you, you're you taken more seriously and not shoved down in the basement. But before that, there was probably business people using acronyms, trying to con- keep power to themselves yes. by talking weird languages. And now once th- those who understand advanced maths, uh, tech and IT, come into power they do the same and they then they alienate not only the other people but also the ceos Mm. who now know that they need ai but they are too afraid to admit that they don't understand what the hell that top ai researcher is talking about i think this is one this whole fundamental you know we can talk about data literacy is one thing, but it actually it's the other way around. Why, why do we need to work and use those words? It's actually part of the power game. That's what you're saying. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's once you reach a certain amount of power, it's very or conf- influ- influence. Or yeah. Im- yeah, or influence is probably a more relatable word. Yeah, you're very comfortable, and you don't. But you also there also start to grow a fear of losing that influence. So you start protecting it, and once you once other people start to understand the same thing you, you do, you're diluting your own influence, right? Mm. And you have to be comfortable with that yes. and mm. focus on the goal. Going back to Elon Musk, he's so focused on the goal, he doesn't care about diluting his own influence. Mm. This because, obviously because he also owns the company. <laughs> <laughs> cool. And you... I'm not, you were very instrumental in, you know, the, one of the communication like terms we use at Peltarion, which is operational AI. Um, what do you think of, or how would you describe what operational AI is? Well, it's a, it's an important distinction. Mm-hmm. 
operationalizing AI, that means to have AI in production, mm. actually having AI models that deliver value in an organization, in a product that does the work, um, mm. helps amplifying the sound or identifying something, as opposed to uh, doing research or a proof of concept project. And we've spoken about the prototype <coughs> graveyard a number of times before, yep. and I think that's a classical um, counterexample, I guess, of what we don't want to do or don't want to do. I mean, you have so many companies claiming that they are using AI. They're claiming that they have a great value and, and they even perhaps built a prototype that can show that, but very, very few actually can put it in production to try, provide true value. Right? Yeah, yeah. And, 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 and the whole idea, of course, is that if you don't have the mindset <coughs> then now we come to a t-shirt from Luca. If you don't commit to deploy, put it in production, yeah. uh, you're actually not understanding the full 360 view of what you need to do. I mean, like from a tech point of view, we have clear, like to do a prototype was to do something in a sample environment is way different than to make it work production wise in, in an enterprise. And even, you know, Try to sell it, get the legal aspects right. You know, so if, if you don't have the mindset to commit to deploy to go to production, uh, you you are you're only scratching. You are not really understanding what your new company or what your new setup is all about. Yeah, no. and I think it's in this, you know, what Peltorni is doing to also basically focusing on actually this this topic that go faster here that is most important because it, it it's not only that you get value from our stuff but it's actually now you're really becoming data and ai ready for real yeah no i agree and i mean i came from a world of agency world consultancy world where user experience and end value was everything how do we change something and then we figured out the way there mm. And when I started working at Peltarian with Anders and a lot of researchers, I mean, I had never worked at academia or r proper researchers. It was kind of a clash for me to understand that our goal and time plan, that's not co prioritized concepts always. And I've come to understand the value also of having that freedom to push the edge and ex explore things and how hard it is to get those two things together because you need to to be able to explore. But if you don't deliver ever, what's the value? And vice versa. If you only look at small increments, small increments, you're only going to do a faster and faster horse, always. But there's been so many times in Peltorian and outside Peltorian where someone has come, ah, oh, look, I've got this great idea. And I've asked, so what's this used for? Exactly. And the answer is, no, but it's interesting. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> But then after a conversation, we all, we usually end up in, oh, it can be used for this. That's fantastic. And maybe that's not the job of the researcher always. Awesome. And before we move into to the next topics here, it would be fun to hear also your story into AI Sweden. And, uh, you know, we've both been included in that from Patarian side. And you're now focused even more in, in AI Sweden. And uh, can you just uh, tell the story a bit there, how, how that came to happen? Oh, wow. Um, well, early on, it was, it was on, the, on the back of our meetings with the politicians. We came mm. into contact with uh, Mikael Jungblom, who worked right. for one of our ministers, the Minister of Environment, no, Housing and Digitization, which exactly. is a that, uh, fun, weird fun, combination. <laughs> <but that's laughs> fun, fun portfolio. Uh, and then Mats Nordlund, who's right. with Senseact now. Uh, and they started talking about building a national AI center. And we we worked with them a lot. And then 
were Paltorian was the founding partner of AI Sweden uh, yeah, and involved exactly. in a lot of projects. Yeah. And then this summer, I I took a leave of absence from Paltorian and joined AI Sweden. Oh, so now you're there full time? Yeah. As a leave of yeah. Yeah. And what's your role in AI Sweden? Uh, I work in uh, one area that's called Major Impact Initiatives, a very pretentious sounding Major name. Major Impact yeah. Initiative. What's the acronym? MIA. MIA. Missing in action. Missing in action. No, but it's it's projects that have very broad impact over a lot of different various players. Could you give an example? Yeah, um, the most... I work mostly now on Swedish healthcare, mm-hmm. trying to, we're, I mean, we have a lot of projects, but the umbrella is a major impact initiative uh, initiative where we focus on trying to shift Swedish healthcare towards digitally data-driven healthcare that can customize healthcare and go from symptom treatment to healthcare. Proper. And, and, and what's, the, what's an ingredient in a major impact area? What's the, what, what is it a plan? Is it an investment? people what's the what was the ingredients we're the, talking about what, what? the main ingredient i would say is the collaboration between mm-hmm. different parties who come with different knowledge and understanding and it's also an initiative that has made different healthcare regions and municipalities in sweden start to work together and find uh, so it's coordinating and project planning and getting uh, uh, like collaboration needs quite a lot of orchestration yeah and facilitate facilitation facilitating investment as well well, perhaps we need to explain what AI Sweden is. Uh, I guess there are some people that don't uh, know exactly what they do. And it's not uh, super easy sometimes to understand all the different initiatives that we have in Sweden for trying to work with AI. How, how would you describe what the uh, mission or vision with AI Sweden is? The main the main mission of AI Sweden is to accelerate applied AI in Sweden. Right. Uh, as opposed to WASP, for instance, who's focusing a lot of advancing super advanced AI research and other mm. and other programs. So in short, you could say trying to accelerate operationalizing AI? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And that's obviously why Altarian is such an important partner yeah. and, uh, and many others. And, and what do they do to make that happen? I mean, they, they have received a lot of funding now. I think it's yeah many hundred millions of crowns, right? And it's been, I think, one of the best initiatives that we've seen for a real long time in, in really trying to help the Swedish economy and society to move forward. But why why do you think it has worked that well for AI Sweden? Do, do you have any idea of what the success story or the ingredients for making that happen is, really? I think the main success, I mean, there are several different value propositions Mm -hmm. from education to being able to share data to access to processing power and and collaboration projects, Mm -hmm. uh, focusing on joint problems. And I would say the main ingredient is the collaboration bit, because very few... Very few companies in orgs have the the muscles or financials to take on an investment by themselves. I certainly agree. And I think the the fragmentation that we are seeing in Sweden and in Europe even more, I would say, is really detrimental and and hurting, you know, what we otherwise potentially could do. So I think these kind of efforts is crucial to actually do collaborate more and perhaps not to have two pretentious goals like we will build the best courses. No, perhaps we can coordinate and help, you know, finding, you know, who can actually do this the best way and then be like a stamp of... um, Approvals, yeah, certification, so on and merit. 
yeah. AI, AI, yeah. And also, I think you, I mean, that's a very important thing. We don't need to be best. Mm. It's kind of, it's not super sympathetic to be best, is it? If because if you're best, people, other people are worse. Shouldn't you be try to like strive to be as good as everyone else and help everyone reach the same level? Yeah. And Perfect. trying to do invent the wheel yourself is not probably very few times the best idea. It's very better few to times. use. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And what would you say the main focus of AI Sweden today is? Uh, there are a number of big like data factory, etc. But if you were to like give an overview for people to see, you know, what are they working with today? How would you describe that? There are uh, a number of different collaboration projects, um, AI-driven mobility, um, identifying where AI can help mobility of logistics and people in Sweden mm. the best, uh, changing healthcare, as I spoke about. Uh, All the nodes, perhaps? Or? Yeah, and working spread out across Sweden to 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 facilitate collaboration and and how many nodes are there now six nodes i think there's six or seven nodes yeah. so it's one and what's a node node is a local office a local yeah. office yeah so we and have a local, local physical office and is it a difference what is focused on in the different local offices or the, what what they do compared to the central part slightly different depending on yeah, yeah. I, i think it skews a little bit towards what industry is present in that oh, part yeah, of yeah. sweden yeah so node can also have a closeness to the what type of industry is there so we have collaborations in automotive in some parts of sweden yeah in volvo for, volvo and gothenburg for instance it's yeah. kind of natural yeah as they're sitting close and and who is part of ai sweden oh a lot we have over a hundred partners right now both companies and public organizations so it's it's a mix of what corporations so to speak yeah uh and then you know expert consultancies or as, as well as sort of the big enterprises so who, who who's the corporation big enterprises startups consultancies firms uh public sectors hospitals uh, academia academia yeah, yeah most of the universities cities research labs from big enterprises and it sounds great so what's the entry ticket to be part of uh, the uh, the family yeah it varies uh, same model as similar initiatives like art park in india if you are a big enterprise corp like ericsson mm -hmm. you pay you pay an annual fee it's like subscription yeah yeah like subscription you're sponsoring fee. yeah it's and it, it's a mix usually of pure money and Uh, hours that hours you spend into actively. projects, yeah. And if you're a startup, it's usually all in kind, only hours, because we have to take into consideration that they don't have the same financials. So you can you can be part of the AI Sweden not only financially, but you can actually invest your time. Yes, exactly. Yeah. For a startup, yeah. And usually that comes when when you also apply when you receive a grant, you usually also get money, but you have to put in some some yourself. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And I think some companies don't understand the, the purpose or the added value or <coughs> what you actually gain by joining. Um, but um, as you know, Paltorn has been part of that for a long time, to actually have someone and working together with, for example, AI Sweden to do you know, applications to Venova or EU applications or finding other partners, having you know, that stamp of approval in some sense and actually getting the information saying, you should probably talk to these people or you should probably apply for that or you should do this and that. And then that coming from AI Sweden, it brings up so much more authority, so to speak, 
when doing that. So I, I hope people understand, you know, that, that this is uh, a big added value. It is a big added value. And it, it's all, I, I would say also there's another important dimension. It's very hard if you're in an organization, mm. be it private or public, to pick up the phone and call another company exactly. and ask for help or advice. It's kind of, it's very challenging for your pride and ego. So we also offer a neutral collaboration space where things are kind of allowed. I mean, for, for so many companies that they don't have that network and uh. they don't know who to speak to and who not to speak to potentially. So yeah, I, I wish more people understood the, the, the greatness of AI Sweden. It's certainly doing a lot to help uh, in yeah, Sweden, I think. and we've also come a long way. I mean, it's only been two years, yeah. so I hopefully no. But I think it's we're doing great things right now. And may I ask you, how big is the organization? Oh wow, I think we're. I have no idea right now. I would guess third between thirty and forty people. But that's in, a central part. Right? Yeah, the central. The central part, the and central. it's ultimately funded by. 50-50 by the state via Vinova and our partners. And then the partner, like subscriptions, yeah. stuff like this. Yeah. Yep. And I know a number of things you have a passion for, which is for one, AI in education, for example. And um, I think you are the, the single person that actually brought elements of AI to Sweden, right? Or you're well, too humble to say that? No, okay. If I put my humbleness aside, I would just have to say yes to that. Yeah. <laughs> can, you, can you just talk a bit more about you know, how, how did that happen? And for people, yeah, yeah. explain, explain what the is, elements what of what AI. What is Elements as well? <coughs> elements of AI is a, an on, a free online course in basic online understanding of AI that uh, came out of Finland, out of the University of Helsinki and uh, a big consultancy firm called Reactor. And um, I don't remember what year, I think it was three and a half years ago. Yeah, something like this. Yeah, the gov Swedish government gave 20 or 25 million to the, our big universities to increase awareness and create education packages for, for engineers in Sweden, basically, or for professionals. And I knew about this course in Finland. So I called Ville at Reactor, who I'd been in contact with, and asked him, could we copy it to Sweden? And he said, yeah, sure. And then I called, uh, I spoke to Mats uh, Nordlund, who was one of the founder in, founders of AI Sweden. And he said, yeah, that's a great idea. He had called this person at Chalmers and I called, called someone at KTH. And they were a little bit lukewarm about the idea. Was there uh, was it the other initiative that you spoke of? And you didn't we say would the do name, it better but, uh, ourselves. Not yeah, to, not to maybe. Yeah, yeah, I mean. Yeah. yeah, maybe that connects to wanting to do it yourself and yes. losing, okay, what are we going to do then? Yeah, exactly. Uh, but then Fredrik Heinz from Linköping University, he jumped on board straight away and <laughs> kind of snatched the ball under the <laughs> their, <laughs> you snooze, you lose. That's it. And then uh, we incorporated into AI Sweden and launched it. And now I think 40,000 people in Sweden have taken the courses and examinated, been examinated. And there's over 10 countries in the EU translated into different countries. So I think it's a very good. So it, it has started to grow as one of these, I wouldn't say de facto standards, but it's, I would say it's one of the most spread now starting points for to learn AI. Yeah, it is a really good starting point. Yeah. But and it's very well done. So I took it myself. I think it was genius. Yeah, yeah. and that's all that credit goes to reactor in Finland. But it's, mm -hmm. it's a, and I think that goes back to what you said curating what already exists. Yes. If that's yeah. good, use it again. Yeah. yeah. 
Repurposing. Yeah. But that's more like um, AI education, not really AI for education, right? No. So how, how can you use AI for education then? I think it also goes back to that, like, you know, we had so many advanced AI applications and mm. then we stumbled upon, I mean, one of the, one a very interesting AI company right here in Stockholm, in Sana Labs, yeah, who are working with using AI for education. I mean, they're focusing their business model on adult education, mm. but the principle is the same. Cust individual. When you said adult education, I was thinking something else, but yeah. Okay, I, I yeah. Know what you mean. <laughs> <laughs> Professional education <laughs> for nurses. And I mean, yeah. they've, they've trained a lot of nurses during COVID to how to handle the pandemic. Yeah. So basically using AI to personalize your education journey, which all research shows. So lifelong learning in some sense, life not, not yeah. just education in, in universities, so to speak. No. Mm -hmm. And like the opposite of just educating everyone the same way, mm. since our brains work differently and mature at different paces. I mean, it's so obvious that that is something that needs to happen. Just think Spotify, you know, does everyone want to listen to exactly the same playlist all the time? Yeah. No, you want a personalized playlist. Why shouldn't exactly. you have a personalized, you know, educational list, yeah. so to speak? And it's we know kids, especially kids when they're around 10, mm. can differ several years Immature. how mature they are to understanding math yeah and still they're supposed to learn trigon trigonometry at the exact same date and if they fail at that point they probably lost interest for math all their lives right such an obvious thing when you hear about it but strange that we haven't gotten further but at least there are some good examples in startups in sweden etc but isn't this another topic then like like we we talk about this um about data literacy and AI literacy and all that. And, and, and it's really about education, adult learning on a massive scale, right? Because we have super data AI scientists who needs to actually learn how to talk to domain lingo. You know, how do I use this cool tech in relation to healthcare? Well, I really need to learn this part. And then vice versa, we all lift, need to lift our game fundamentally in order to be take part in, this, in these new teams. So it's, it's a massive learning. <coughs> it is challenge. massive learning. And it's also, it also has massive implications in yeah. how it fundamentally challenges our system, how we work. Yeah. I mean, we created our education system and our healthcare system over a hundred years ago mm. based on the limitations of resources. How mm. many people, how many people can we treat with one person? Mm. And now we have a different system and we've also understood that symptoms are connected <laughs> if you have an illness here it's probably connected to your gut flora or whatever but we still educate doctors to be specialized and if you have a symptom you have to so we're moving into the next topic guys uh, i think and, and we spoke about ai and education for yeah. some time and, and the obvious need for one to educate people what ai is yeah. but secondly to simply use ai for education as well to, to make it more personalized and more efficient and really you know, bring up the strengths and weaknesses of each person in some way. Right? But also one thing in education, the yeah. other side is we have hundreds of thousands of teachers right. who spend 50% of their time on administration. Right. AI can automate that. AI, so teach, for, AI to, for education is also to free up quality time. Yeah, so teachers yeah. can spend time with children, yeah. which is why they became teachers in the first place. Which yeah. is such a no-brainer. Yeah. I mean, and this is, uh, I think, a big misunderstanding many, many people have. They think AI is this kind of really advanced type of technology. And we've been so used to, you know, the more advanced some technology is, the more you have to scroll down some menu somewhere, fill out some form, 
which is really hard to understand. But I would argue that AI really removes that instead yeah. and makes all the communication and interfaces much more natural. So it's actually less of administration. And I, I really wish people understood that you know AI is not something that makes administration harder. It really is the opposite. Yeah. Right? And that's where uh, hopefully now we're going to start in Gothenburg with, because there we have very, very excited principals and school leaders just there who mm. are interested in AI. So mm. hopefully we can get a pilot going and find some good use case. And yeah. when we find that, then hopefully people will understand, oh God, this is what it can do. Yeah. Yeah, I, and, and just to leave that, you know, for the whole learning curve and if we want to have aug augmented intelligence or if we want to do this, I guess a huge topic will be also how we get this to become seamless in the way we normally interact. You know, that, that's, so the UX part of this becomes, that's, that's the whole niche in itself. Augment, you know, UX for AI into UX in, in a seamless way. Yeah. Must be super big topic. I mean, like, so you have something super cool, but it's actually too convoluted to use it. Yeah. But it, it doesn't need to have, be that way. No. We'll move in the other way. I think that's probably a field that needs probably is going to expand. Yeah, I, I, I mean, like, UX I had this uh, conversation with, with with someone who's uh, she, um, someone who sort of was seeking a mentor, and, and and she was into, I want to go into UX, mm. and I say, you know, you have a kick-ass field for yourself now if you if you start to learn this, mm. uh, uh, UX augmented with AI. Yeah. You know, what is that all about? And just to close the topic as well about AI and education, if we were to look forward like five years, what do you think? This is a hard question, of course, but what do you think um, utopian kind of view of education will look like would be? My, my hope is that we've done a school reform mm -hmm. where kids get uh, customized education right. and they get to focus on what they are best at at that time. Yeah. So... And what they need at that time. Yeah, what they <coughs> need at that time. So we have 100% of kids finishing school with full full grades. Mm. But it's a school reform needed in order to basically say one size does not fit all. Yes. That's a beautiful future. I, I certainly hope, <laughs> hope that will happen. And, and just to move into healthcare, you already touched it so many times, and I know it's another passion area of yours, and, and you're working a lot with it right now. And I know my, my mom, for example, she works as a, as a nurse as well, and... When she was forced into the di digitalization era and, and she had to write journal text, you know, in, in the computer, that was such a horrible <laughs> moment for her. Yeah. And I think it still is for many people. And, and how digitalization in, in that way actually made things worse in many ways. And even though it has a lot of positive sides, of course, but still from, you know, just thinking about the worker itself, it can also have a lot of problems. Um, that at least the digitalization, you know, transformation cost, and, and I guess every transformation is painful in some way. But okay, so what is your thinking about, you know, healthcare? How can we, you know, how can AI be of help for healthcare? I mean, currently, our healthcare system, which is called sick, sick care, mm -hmm. if you translate it straight from Swedish, <laughs> is built around treating symptoms. So you have to wait until an infection occurs in your body and then you have to go <laughs> into a physical location and say, I want to help help with this. Uh, and I, with AI, one thing I want is for that to use my data from my Pulse Watch or my Apple Watch at all times. And I want to be able to share that so my healthcare provider can contact me when they see deviations and help me stay healthy 
or if I want, I would I want want to be able to share that with Ica, so they can provide me with the right healthy food, so I can stay healthier. So, so it's it's a it's a it's a shift in focus from sick prevent uh, 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 prevention in, 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 instead of rehabilitation or yeah. whatever we should call it, which is natural in of industry. Course. You do preventive healthcare, or even if you with your car, you go with to the car. Yeah, the, you, go, you go to the so service we, standard and, service. And we had the same conversation has been in the in the car industry. Yeah. You know, we are the safest car to crash with. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was in the seventies and eighties, and wear a seatbelt, right? And now it's the car that doesn't crash. Yeah, exactly. I mean, isn't that kind of sad? It, it seems almost that we have more pre- proactive care for cars than we have <laughs> proactive cars for humans, exactly. right? We're yes. more reactive in that sense for humans that we, you know, wait until something happens and then seek help for it. Yeah, so, we also it, exercise our dogs more than we exercise our children. <laughs> <laughs> but when when in automotive did we did the real shift happen to do you know prevention, car, you know, crash prevention? I think that is actually. That is not so long ago, if you think about it, because we had we talk, you know, even the uh, airbag, that is not preventing crashes. It's it's actually the latest ten years with with the you know, with the, all the sensors. So it's quite tech related, even. Or am I wrong? No, but that was also probably regulations and policies mm. coming in and demanding certain safety standards. Yes, and all, but. Come probably, and now I'm guessing, mm-hmm. probably combined with degrees, decreasing profits from sales of cars, mm. and you, they the car companies saw that they could make more money from servicing. And again, back to, yeah, we, back to the uh, incentives of the healthcare system. So, so that this was the analogy, simply yeah. to 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 find a, an, another angle into what could AI do, or you know, how can we be more proactive or yeah. preventive. And that, I mean, that side of it requires system shifts, but one side that doesn't is just all the administration. Yeah. I think yes. nurses spend 50% of their time, doctors about 60% of their time on administration. Everyone hates it. It's that much, right? Yeah. And I mean, just imagine when, once we reach that point where a patient doctor or patient nurse conversation can be real time transcribed, we can do an, a recommended diagnose and a real-time literature study study of their latest research that pop up to the doctor and they say, oh, this is the latest research on this topic. And, and how far away is rocket science? I mean, like if I look at all the ingredients, isn't, this can be done, right? What's the problem? What's the Anders, problem? Where are there bottlenecks here? <laughs> well, what are the real bottlenecks? Because I mean, for if one, you, you know, of apart. course, if you go research, of course, yeah, it's been a lot of progress, but it's just the last like two, three years that we've really seen the progress that we need to be able to do something like this. I mean, like, but then to move that into healthcare. Into production, yeah. Into production <laughs> and in healthcare, especially given the regulation and yeah. rather... I've been actually working with a number of like hospitals and, and regions in Sweden and that they have kind of a strain, strange, <coughs> but different perhaps hierarchy. And if you are in, you have parents that are medical doctors, yes. so you probably know this better than me. But if you can't come to a medical doctor that's really high Excellent. up and say, you know, no, you should do it this way, oh. they will simply say, "What are you? You know, I'm who a, are you? Yeah, I'm right? I'm a surgeon. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> we, we knew that. Yeah, so it's really hard to to make a change happen, right? Yeah, and that I think it's probably uh, more of a challenge in terms of 
infrastructure and system mm. than the actual modeling, even though that's yeah. so, yeah. a shift as well. Because uh, because we, we had uh, Stefan Vlakos uh, here yeah. last time. So, and, and from Karolinska Institute. From Karolinska University Hospital. And I'm, I'm you know, politically incorrect, whatever. <laughs> I think there is this completely wrong focus in the conversation. I'm like, they're, they're, they're talking about how should we build the infrastructure or the perfect journal system instead of st- starting to break down the use cases and start doing it operational and putting things in production. So it's a little bit like uh, when I was in Vattenfall, you know, and, and we started going on the big data journey and we had some very clear examples. I, uh, you know, I have anecdotes for what Telia was doing versus what uh, Telenor was doing. And, he, and, and I'm not na- naming names, but one company spent one billion to build a big data platform, you know, with no value, with no use cases, but we have the infrastructure. Yeah. And someone else is, you know, did the evolution approach on this. So for me, when I hear people talking in this space, it's like, I don't know, you, you, you are going at this in the wrong way. I mean, like we try that in the enterprise world in the 90s, in the 2000s, it, it clearly doesn't work. No. So uh, you see what I'm saying? Like, yeah. so it's something, I mean, like to operationalize AI, you can't do everything at once. You need to drip feed it. We all know it. Yeah, and I think you, I mean, I think you're completely right. You need to, to start with the user problem. Yes. In this, in, the, in this instance, our citizen. Yes. What is it we're trying to help them with? And what's the economic structure around yeah. that? If you look a little bit further than, I mean, currently the healthcare system is probably is seen as a cost. Yeah. But it, what is the eco- economic impact of healthy versus sick citizens over 10 years of time? Then you're seeing, okay, what could we do as a difference? Yeah, so an investment that pays back multifold, right? Yeah. But, but I, I think there is a fundamental <laughs> shift how things are done now and how you drive transformation. Yeah. And, and I, I work at, at Scania right now, and this is one of my, you know, my, my true passions and, and why I ended up in Scania is because I'm, I'm with a boss that we said, we need to build an innovation muscle. So, you know, digital transformation today with data and AI is not like an assist analysis to be analysis, gap analysis. We do a project and it's fixed. You know, it's not static, my friends. It's all moving. Yeah. So you need to have a machine and innovation, uh, you know, Process becomes product, we say. Innovation life cycle, use case by use cases, and just having a muscle that grows and expands. The data DNA, the, the, you know. So you're growing your platform as you build it. You know, and, and here we come into the healthcare discussion. It's like, uh, we can talk for 10 years about getting the perfect journal systems yeah. for all Sweden. Forget it. Yeah, You're not going to, that way is never going to fly. And it should be enough people even from industry who is sort of now understanding DevOps, all this kind of stuff that can sort of say, huh, it doesn't really fit with software development, what you're trying to do right now. No. Am, am I speaking? I don't know. No, I, 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 think I it's completely like, agree. You have to focus on the why, not yeah, the, the why, what, and yeah. then the use cases, and then building machinery. How you can just do how you how fast can you do each use case? How fast can you put things in production? You see his uh, strength here in being able to concise what you just said in one word. Yeah, we need to focus on why. <laughs> I, I need to focus <laughs> on why. This, that's one of the you know excellent skills that Kai has yeah. at some points. And I, I mean, such. I think there's two organizations that I think could make a change here and probably have the responsibility to do that, and that's. The, 
the, those are the unions for the nurses and doctors mm. because their members currently spend millions of hours on administration. They should demand from Stefan Löfven and ask for what da- at what date will our members spend 100% of their time what they're actually paid for. Mm. That's a good one. Okay, so we can use AI to help employees in healthcare in a different way. Of course, minimizing administration is a big and, and important area as well. I guess we can also potentially help nurses and other people do more advanced things if we can combine humans with AI, right? Or would you say that's also an important part? Yes, definitely. And I would say probably, I mean, even now, even though the nurses are educated to yeah. nurse people, they're doing a lot of the clinical and medical stuff. Right. Every every doctor will uh, attest to that. Yeah. They can do even more. Yeah, I think so too. And then we have the we also have the patients <laughs> potentially. Yeah, and uh, there are these things like precision medicine and, and being proactive instead of reactive. You know, in, in treating injuries, and hopefully we can prevent. You know, instead of curating symptoms that you otherwise see. What do you think about that? What if you were to compare, like, you know, what can AI do for people or patients versus for employees? Where where do you see the the biggest impact potentially? I think the biggest impact is the ability to give a more holistic analysis of the patient's health status Mm -hmm. beyond that individual doctor or nurse that's assessing Isn't them. it exactly the same as education and, and even music and Spotify? You need to personalize yeah, the healthcare. Yes, isn't, isn't that and the same thing with medicine as well. Currently exactly. we're developing medicine based on a cohort mm. of people, yeah. based on that data that we, yeah. with our cognitive limitations, are able to analyze. Analyze, yeah. Yeah, analyze, yeah. analyze yeah. yeah. I remember my mother always saying, you know, especially she was working in more palliative kind of, you know, um, in, in the end of the life kind of treatment. And, and it's so easy for doctors to just overprescribe medi- medication. Yeah. And they have this like huge bucket of medicine and the, you know, interaction effects that they have is severe often. And people can, you know, by simply removing medicine, make them feel better. And, and this is obvious, obviously a problem of, you know, understanding the data holistic, in some way. The yeah. holistic view. Yeah, the holistic view. Uh, for me, it sounds like... I remember a conversation I had with, I was in an Indian conference and obviously they use uh, much more holistic uh, medicine and also holistic healership where they kind of, they put their fingers on the pulse and they tell you what's wrong in your body, which is kind of hocus pocus to us here in Sweden. But then over just the last few years, we've seen AI and deep learning do fantastic things with um, heart rate variability. Mm. Being able to it tell could be something very, yeah, to <laughs> like that. The, same. the difference in frequency in the heartbeats and to be able to assess yeah. what's wrong with your body. I had a friend of mine who did shinesology. It's something about you, you just put your hand like five centimeters over your body mm. and then you do some kind of thing. For me, that sounded really humbug kind of thing. But mm-hmm. this, what you said... You know, you actually feel the pulse yeah. and try to understand what's happening with the heart. I think that makes more sense. And all the sensors we're starting to to start to use, they they potentially can detect things that the human never could even. So perhaps they can actually improve on that quite a lot. Yeah, it's in- interesting times now when you, as a consumer, you can order a blood glucose meter and wear it for right. 14 days and see how what you eat, how that affects you and adjust your 
diet based on it. Yeah. But but okay, so there's there's obviously so much that can be done with data and AI in in, in healthcare. But but if we sort of start maybe closing it down a little bit, like what what is the number one thing we should focus on, or what which one is the where it, is is it admin we should just tackle just tackle admin, or or, or or what what is it that we get most bang for our buck or the lowest hanging fruit, I would say the administration yeah. and resource planning. Yeah. Because that doesn't require huge system shifts. I would agree. Awesome. Should we, uh, I'm eager to move into another topic, which is related, but different, which is regulation as well. And I know you and me have had a number of discussions about this. And uh, one of the big challenges in healthcare is regulation, of course. And naturally so, because it's so sensitive data, especially if you use you know, journal text from patients and whatnot. Still, um, if we go back just to, to this standard <laughs> question, we, we have GDPR, of course, and I think we know, need no introduction to what that is, but it has uh, its problems and, and, and its yeah, good sides as well. How would you describe the pros and cons of GDPR? Uh, the pros are probably that <laughs> it's protecting. We're we're starting the process of protecting citizen data. Yeah. But uh, one, it's not precise enough, which makes it very limiting for anyone who wants to innovate and start to do new things that can potentially save lives, innovate, boost the economy. Yeah. And I would I would argue that it's also created from an institutional standpoint, protecting the European Union rather than facilitating uh, progress for the individual citizen. I think this is uh, something we've spoken a bit about before, and I think we need to just uh, elaborate a bit more on that because I'll dissect this a little bit. Yeah. What we talked about a bit before is that I think it's exactly what you said. You know, it was created to protect the European Union a bit, and especially against perhaps the tech giants in some yeah. sense, and keep the data in Europe or something. But in reality, what happened is the opposite in some sense, because the big tech giants, the Google, the Facebook, the Microsoft, the Apples of the world, they they have the legal resources to really comply with the regulation without any problem at all. Yeah. And even fight it if necessary, if they want to. But the normal company in Europe or Sweden have no chance. So they're, they're rather safe than sorry. So it actually hurts um, the European companies more than the other companies. Would you agree with that? I would agree, agree with that. And even big Swedish corporations stay away from personal data mm. because it's too scary. Yeah. I know that one of the largest food chains in Sweden, they stay away from that data because the fine for them, yeah. what is it, 2 four, to 4% of their annual turnover would be enormous. Yeah. And so they stay away from providing health tips or... But, but when you said that uh, it was made, or came up from an institutional point of view, could we elaborate a little bit like this? Because it's always been, you know, if you, if you read it casually, it's, it's protecting the, the citizen. Yeah. But if, I, if you read it on a macro level, it's actually... <laughs> protecting, you know, is a way to taxate. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, like, how, how big is it a different level here? When you say it's, it's protecting the European institution more than, than the citizen, what do you mean with that? I mean, obviously, that's also, it's subjective. Mm -hmm. That's my interpretation yeah, yeah. from the communication standpoint. Afterwards, we are politically yeah. correct. No, but also <laughs> the way they com they co the EU communicates, yes. it is from an EU standpoint. They don't exemplify no. With how a citizen is affected by this? No. Currently, we don't own our medical data in Sweden. We never did. 
So exactly. what's, what's to protect? I mean, what's the difference? I still can't use that data and share it with a healthcare provider in another country. I don't have that control. So what, it, and we still have all these open services where you can search for anyone in Sweden, as long as they have a public and publishing license. Yeah, so it's, it, it's very, if you start doing these examples, like you do now, you're, you're picking it apart. This, uh, yeah, no, I, I mean, I think I as think it is, it, it probably right. stands if they would have also provided guidelines for what's okay and a framework for how to collaborate and work together with the EU or here in Sweden, our data inspection authority, who has uh, a mandate to facilitate the flow of free data, but don't have enough budget and, to uh, but, provide that service. But you said something now when you talked about actually, someone has highlighted the next uh, generation of internet is the whole custodianship of your data, who owns my data, who owns the data. So the whole GDPR concept is also falling flat when you actually say we actually never own our data. No. So who, who are you protecting? You know, no, maybe th- maybe there's another part of the law which is about custodianship of data, yeah. and then you you get to this whole conversation of what they're doing in Estonia or whatever. Like, can it's my data? Yeah, I believe strongly in that. I think yeah. the EU is struggling with how to cope with uh, China and the US, mm-hmm. how to kind of win or compete. And I think the key or the the way forward would be to harmonize data structure and give or regulate ownership of data to each EU citizen and controllership. Mm. Because then each because then you create a value in data. Yes. That our citizens can trade with. Yes. Abroad. I fully agree with this. And also a mental awareness that your data is yours. And maybe you care about it more and then we can have different appetite yeah. for if I want to share it to get good service or if I want to a bit private. Yeah, I think it should be like I mean, the same way as you turn an off and on roaming in your phone, you should be able to turn on and off access to your data. But but this is a core component of the regulation that we haven't, I mean, like GDPR sets this, but it kind of doesn't work if you don't have this part as well. No, I agree fully. Hmm. I'm so eager to, to argue, the, play, the, play the devil's advocate. Do it, do it. <laughs> I, I want to, I want to. It sounds like you love the cookie law. Cookie law. Cookie law. The law from GDPR properly okay. that claims in every <coughs> website has to have a pop-up saying, do you accept to use cookies or not? And no one really you know, reads the law or the reasons behind this. And everyone is super annoyed uh, about it. And it becomes this kind of crying wolf problem where the whole purpose behind it, which is good, dis- diminishes. And, and it's destroyed. Mm. So even though I agree partly, it's super important to to execute and implement it in the right way. And yes. I think they failed so miserably in this case. Yes, I agree. Yeah, yeah. But I agree with that as well. <laughs> but but, but, I, but I, I think what we this this that what we talked about now is a nuance. In the co- we had a conversation about GDPR and that we failed, and we've mm. gone down that rabbit hole several yeah. times. But now we started to um, and we entered into the custodianship of data conversation, yeah. which I think is 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 another side of the coin here. You, we we fail here, so we need to still fix that. But even if we do that better, isn't this custodian topic quite important as well? Who owns my my data, or is that completely uh, different? I I have a mixed view of that actually. Yeah, 
I, 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 I think it's important to understand. I'm not sure yeah. I know exactly what I think. I haven't really thought this through to have an informed discussion about it. But I think people are, you know, the, the feeling is one view that I have a problem with, at least, is that they say that Facebook has so much data about us. Google has so much data about us. Apple has so much data about us. We should extract the data from them, take over the ownership of that. No, I don't think so. I think, you know, we we can actually easily, from a company point of view, if you had similar kind of services, build up data ourselves. Then, of course, we need to be super transparent. We need to be able to raise the data, etc. But, you know, they provide a service and they create the data and we allow them to do that without really understanding what they do. That is a problem. I feel I'm... I'm Tramping in a, <laughs> but this is hard. I mean, like it's a different. It, it's not super obvious, at least to me. No, it is I, I, not. I think you really have to think through because if we do this again and say, let's now claim ownership of this, it could be the exact opposite of, uh, effect, just mm. as GDPR did. If you're not really careful yeah, about it, what we're so saying, in, in the end, it, is, it, it will win or lose based on implementation. Yeah, I think you make a very valid point, and I think. You added a dimension to my thinking. Mm. I agree with you. I don't think the state or the EU should own the platform where the data is. Yeah. Maybe they should just create the harmonization and the structure and say that you has you have a right to move or store your data. Mm. And I think that's what I'm opposed to right now, that I don't control my own health yeah. data. Yeah. As I one would, example. But I would, yeah, as a concrete example. Yes. But I don't care if I store that at Google or Facebook yeah. or the Swedish public authorities, yeah. as long as I can access it and use it. And, you know, you can handle the effects of it. I think, you know, Evelina, yeah. you know, yeah. she's a lawyer and, and we had her on her show before. And I think she said a really good thing. You know, regulation should handle the effects yes. of using data or technology. And of course, that is what we should do. We should not regulate the data itself. We should not regulate the technique itself. It should be the effects. Yeah. If you abuse data, yeah, that should be punished yes. and severely fined. And if you abuse technology, yes, that should be you know regulated and severely fined. But I think it's a bit dangerous to regulate data ownership. But so, okay, I could be. Yeah, but but still. Uh, do you, do you guys uh, are you aware of the Estonian model or yeah. sort of? Could you elaborate a little bit? What's the Estonian model in this? To my knowledge, it was, I think it was Tavi Reva's government who set up the vision for their government, zero bureaucracy, mm-hmm. and started digitizing auth- uh, authority s- data structure around yes, citizens. it's like citizenship data or your e-government or your identity. Yeah, you have like an e-citizen page. And you can basically become an e-citizen. You can become an e-citizen. And you can launch your company yeah. as an e-citizen. And you can also, you also control which authorities can yes. access your personal data. You can turn that off. So you have an e-identity yeah. with which is centrally facilitated. Yeah. Is that the right word? Yeah, I think so. We're kind of... Half guessing, right? Are we, I, 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 I know. I, I, I'm not. I, I have followed. I read a little bit, but yeah. I, I, I don't know the details enough. But yeah. I think it's quite interesting. Yeah. yeah, I think that's. I mean, I would, I would like to have a page like that where I can store all my health, health. Yeah. Stuff. So, in a nutshell, then, if you are willing to share your data in order to to make your life more smooth, you put it all there. You got it up there, and all the different uh, in agencies can go and fetch your data there or your healthcare like this. So you're you're actually, you are part of yourself contributing to the own smoothness of um, 
sharing your data. Yeah. And, and, but in, but essentially, it's up to you, right? How yes. how you how much it is. Hmm. Interesting. Cool. Just looking a bit uh, in the future as well about regulation, and and we know it's a number of upcoming new acts coming up in in Europe, and and one of them is trying to regulate differently based on the risk or if it's high risk AI or low risk AI. Do you have any initial thoughts about this? I haven't read up enough on it to have enough, a very good opinion on it, but I'm I've read a little bit. And I'm, I'm a little bit curious about the process of assessing yeah. the risk, since my interpretation is that we, we don't currently live in a regulation world where we plan ten years ahead, <laughs> or twenty years ahead. Yeah, true. So we But assess the we assess the immediate risk. Yeah. And does this go back a little bit to what we discussed with e- Evelina? Is was the, is this the risk? Or, or yeah, 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 should be. Yes. Yeah. So I mean, one danger, you know, and I, I don't think, even though I read part of it, and I certainly haven't read everything, and, and it's not very well versed in it, but a bad interpretation, at least, if you be a devil's advocate again, is that they would define risk by sector, saying healthcare mm-hmm. is a sector which is high risk. Therefore, any kind of AI application in that sector is high risk, including ad- administration. Administration, which is then crazy, right? Which would be really strange, <laughs> and um, I hope I'm wrong, and and I think I am. But you know, if you were to really think about, you know, once again, even the the intention is good. Of course, if it's high risk and have potential bad effects, then it should be regulated harder. I think that like core idea is good, but if you impl- implement it poorly by simply saying sector. this sector is blah blah blah, then yeah, that will be horrible. You would yeah. screw it up. Especially for the healthcare sector that needs AI a, so much, it, it it would be a detriment if you're not doing it right for the health yeah. for the for the public sector. By the way, the whole yeah. public sector yeah. will have a problem. Cool. I'm eager to to move to the next topic, <coughs> which is uh, some of your famous topics or uh, sort of quotes or statements, <laughs> and um, you you can add more yourself. Uh, but let me start with something, and, and perhaps you can add some other quotes if you can think of it. But uh, I think one quote that you said was. We will never understand AI if we only focus on AI. Did you come up with that, or did you find it somewhere else? Or? No, I think I, I think I wrote it as a headline yeah. at some point, and I've used it in uh, keynote speeches as well. So, so what do you mean with that? Uh, what I mean, I think it came on the back of having seen and participating in panels and keynotes where people discuss the details of how a model AI model is built. Mm to a non-technical audience or oh, any audience who haven't worked with AI yeah. because then it it's you can count the seconds until people zone out <laughs> so it's about you know to should have a more holistic view of the application of using AI not just AI itself yeah i think imagine if you were to expre- explain spreadsheets or excel mm. by explaining the code mm. no one would still understand excel you have to explain what you can do with it And yeah. how it functions in simpler terms. Yeah, I mean, it's so obvious when when you see it's it. It's a good I, quote. Um, yeah, it's a good quote. It, it sounds, you know, first bad, you know, if you only focus on it. But of course, when you hear it explained, it makes so much sense. So, yeah. awesome quote. Um, let's take another one. This is kind of obvious. I'm not sure. You, um, 
so interesting. But you said something about every technology shift or disruption has two parts, uh, which is the, the invention or development part and, and the operational part. Yeah. What do you mean with that? I mean, it ties back to what we said, something we said at the beginning, that mm. we've seen this before. Yeah. When the internet bubble came around, everyone said this is just uh, a fluke or a hype uh, we're not going to have to change and then everything shifted no one's going to say today we don't need to use the internet and we're the first time in history where the same people in leadership was was around back then but still have the same mentality towards ai and the i think the difference is it's every because you know tech development always accelerates. It's happening faster and faster. It's exponential growth. Yeah. So <laughs> the first 10 years, the tens, internet happens slow and then it's just happening fast. Uber, Tesla, all these companies just competing and changing the landscape. Yeah. And if this is happening at an exponential pace, when we hit that inflection point. Yeah, inflection point. The AI inflection point. Yeah, where it's widely available. What happens to the market if you still only have a small research lab in the basement and haven't touched your data? Because then you you won't have time to act. Yeah. This is, I think, this is something that I, I try to explain over and over, how we are shifting from one S-curve to another S-curve, from the, you're on the macro life cycle of, of the in, in industrial revolution, and now we're shifting to a new macro life cycle of data and AI first. Yeah. And when that sort of takes off, when that sort of, and, and the, the, when the majority is already on this steep inclination and you have not even started, there, there's a, no way of catching up. No. There's no way. And my argument also, because the counter argument is often, we don't see any obvious AI use cases. Okay, maybe not right now, but you'll still see value by structuring your data, starting to take data-driven basic oh. analytics decisions. So do it anyway. Because the other I've, stuff will come. I've used exactly this argument yeah. to say that there are some no regrets, other way of putting it, <laughs> yeah, activities well. you can do now. Go for AI, go for operational AI, but also go for the no regrets yeah. topics that we know is good for having good AI. And it will help you now and it will set you up for the future. Yeah. No, I agree completely. Okay, let me... I agree as well, but I think it's fun to to play the devil's advocate at some points and do it. <laughs> <laughs> and then we we have the invention phase, and you also have the the operational phase, where it actually start to really make sense and value for a lot of companies. But we also have the effect of the, the innovators' dilemma in some way that the the company that are the first may not really see the benefit of it, and it can be dangerous to to sometimes be the innovator, so to speak. So would that mean, and I'm, I'm talking about against myself now, my beliefs, which is really weird for me, but still, does that mean that you know companies should not have R&D's development because they shouldn't be caught in the innovator dilemma problem? Or should they wait for other companies to do the innovation and then just tag along? Or what is the best way to, to really do this? I think it's both. I think you should identify which opportunities or possibilities are too large to tackle mm. and try to collaborate or learn from others or buy that intellectual property or yeah. tech from others and then identify, okay, which can be our competitive advantages or what data should we hold on to? Yeah. Currently, I think it's an either or situation where people, they don't want to share anything, even though they, they don't know what 
or they don't want to learn from anyone else yeah. because they don't know how to work with it. I mean, well said. I think you know the mix is the best, and even though there is an innovator dilemma, it it's not always the case. And very often, if you find that you know really core thing and really become um, the leading innovator, that can be a hugely valuable position to be in. Right? So you need to always innovate. But I think it's so so important to just you know keep track of what others are doing as well and catch on with that. Yeah. If you do both, the mix, as you say, trying to keep up with what others are doing and 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 then not you just skip over the innovation part because they you recognize they did something good. At the same time, also innovating to actually find those parts, you should be home safe or yeah. you should be in good position, right? But uh, here I I I look at this from a slightly different angle. Yeah. I, I think both of your arguments are, you know, this idea is is valid. But when my understanding for data and AI, and I used, I, I like to talk about data and AI ready. This is a journey. So for me, it's a journey. Um, the way I experience it, both Vattenfall and now Scania, is like, oh my God, you don't know anything until you have started and learned by doing is the key story. So for me, it's not about I'm doing cutting edge innovation or not. It's about, you know what? You don't have a clue what this is all about until you dip your feet and then stay, you know. And 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 when I say that, I'm actually more on the operational side than the cutting edge side. Mm-hmm. So it's a little bit like, let's get some really good BI self-service going, you know, of very stupid stuff or automating a process because when you start putting, we need to optimize or automate as, as, as key metrics and you start pursuing that, you actually learn about this is a new operating model. This is a new, a, a new organizational construct. This is a new technology stack and it's a new set of dealing and treating data. And, and there is no way in hell, it has nothing to do with innovation. It's, it's, it's a hard slug. And this is this sort of, and in order to accelerate even, and to be, to my opinion, that's data and AI ready. It's not so glamorous. Some of it is maybe glamorous, but I, I'm doing it. You got to do it to learn it, to understand it. Yeah. That's my angle on this. Yeah, that's a good point. I agree. And I, I mean, the optimal scenario would be that you have cutting edge R&D yeah. here and some stuff that's super easy, but affects how you run your organization. So you can integrate that here. But if you have to prioritize, I would probably argue towards the low-hanging fruit that affects how you run your company because then you can expand into the other. It's harder to go the other way around. Yeah, and it's the whole idea. Can can an enterprise disrupt himself? Yeah. You know, are are, are you able to? And and what we have had the strategy both in Vattenfall and now in Scania has been also, okay, how can we have use cases just that impacts people's understanding for data, literally build data literacy. So sometimes it, you know, it's not fancy at all, but it, it actually gets you understanding what is data and why is this data like this? I, I just simply this old boring giving transparency to data has nothing to do with AI, mm. but it, it's actually part of the journey that we kind of need to treat our data in a different way. So I don't know. I mean, innovation, I think is also important. Um, but what I like with innovation, the way Peltorin and you always talk about it, is like you don't overhype it to something else. Like be concrete on a very concrete problem. Get the camera, fix the lawnmowers. You know, yeah. do something super yeah. concrete. Is that fancy? I don't know. It's super fancy from AI point of view, but as a concrete problem, 
it's very clear. Yeah. So what is, you know, what is, you know, innovation that is fantastic to me for a normal company? Uh, I think it's another topic also that you touch into that perhaps we should take at some point, which is, you know, how research in AI is being done today, especially in academia versus how research in industry, which actually is in AI bigger than in academia, I would argue. But I think it's a different topic. So perhaps later we can move into that. Yeah. Which topic are we on now? <laughs> We're searching Good point. now. <laughs> okay, so we spoke you about... You see what happened, yeah, right? We, we are still on Kai's famous quotes. Yes. <laughs> so we just spoke about, you know, innovation versus operation and the two phases and, and, you know, how we need both, I guess, is a summary of it, right? Yeah. 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 And I think one of the favorite quotes of all, uh, really, that you made, uh, that uh, at least my favorite, is... How ethical is it not to use AI? Yes, I know. Yes. Right? And can you just, you know, elaborate a bit more, you know, what do you th- mean with that? Well, it came from, I think it was probably two years ago now, when every politician in the world started talking and probably business leaders started talking about we need to use AI ethically, mm. which to many of us, we, we just heard, okay, you don't understand AI at all. So if you discuss ethics, you don't have to act. It was like a snutefilt, (laughs) a comforter (laughs) to not act because then you could just stop and discuss ethics for a while. But the question that was not never asked was, Mm. what can we use AI for? What's the opportunity cost? Yeah, what's the opportunity cost? And uh, going back to the risk assessment of healthcare, okay, if that's deemed as a high risk area healthcare and we don't use ai people are dying is that ethical yeah so i guess in in some case you can compare the two scenarios and, and say you know here's a country that's used ai a lot in healthcare here's one does not and you can see when they started to use ai they had reduction in deaths or in improvement in, in, in life expectancies or whatnot, right? Yes, and even here in Sweden, we have regions who've come very far with yeah. applying AI broadly in region Holland, who've yeah. seen great health benefits and saved a lot of resources already. Yeah. So I think it's now uh, it's super important. But yeah. also one more thing there, we're currently in the process of setting up an AI ethical committee as a national one, right. and we've done a lot of interviews with experts and and still a little bit uncertain if there is any purely AI ethical case, use case that doesn't fall into normal ethical right. topics. So you mean topics. normal exactly. ethical rules and regulations, apply? yeah. It's just on a bigger scale or a yeah. different timeline. I, I find that very interesting. So because we, we, we need to have an AI strategy, we need to have a data strategy. Well, we have business strategy yeah. and then we have AI implications of that strategy. What, isn't ethics the same? Yes. What? What? what why? What, what is AI ethics compared to data ethics or digital ethics or IT ethics? I think it's a data problem in terms that it's more. <laughs> it adds more honesty. Yeah. You have to be truthful about. Oh, we've been discriminating up until now. Because we take the the classical yeah, cases. Think, listen yeah. to what he said. I think this is more profound than, yeah, than you think. Because currently, when we do a credit check when you apply for a loan. It's okay to discriminate because it's people. Once we start doing it with AI, it's not okay. It's not okay anymore. And then we have to be honest about it. But how good is that? You know, that really puts a light on what the real problem is. I mean, like you can flip the whole conversation back to your quote. How ethical is it to not use AI? 
Yeah, exactly. With AI, we could probably start to mitigate the problem, hopefully. <laughs> but it's also, I mean, there is an unfair or different comparison if you take machines versus human. And, you know, I guess, you know, self-driving cars is the easiest one to just think of in your head. And, you know, let's say a car kills another person and it's human driving or, or it's a machine driving. And, and then the question is, you know, who, what is the requirement on a human and what is the requirements on the machine to be able to allow it on the street? And we allow people that should never sit in front <laughs> of a steering wheel to be on the street today, even if they're drunk or they're tired or they don't even know the, the street signs or whatnot. But for a machine to drive on the street, we put super high requirements. I think it's okay. They should be like 10 times more, you know, stricter requirements on a machine. But I, I think people need to, need to recognize that. And have that discussion as well. I mean, right. we've seen those difference when we discussed with uh, um, our acquaintances from other countries where they have a more collective thinking mm. that they don't have the same philosophical problem because it's more natural to think that the collective good is prioritized over the individual good. But here in Sweden, we have very high value of our individual priorities. Mm. So it's a big problem for us. Interesting. Which countries are a little bit different here, you would say? Uh, I would say China. China, yeah. Which has its pros and cons. Eager to jump into the and, China discussion, and, and, and then we always yeah, yeah, back to ethics, and and we had uh, Louise Kallenberg here, yeah, and she has her background even as a a, a priest. So ethics is very c- closely connected to values and culture. So what is ethics in one country is, and what is ethical? Exactly, and it, I is, mean, is it cultural or or you know? I think I it's important that we spend time on challenging or at least discussing those, the givens, the given truths that we all just accept. Mm. I mean, everyone who's read Sapiens know that most of the things that we accept as given truths, democracy, human rights, are still constructs by us humans. Yes. Are those the best things for humanity in the long run? I mean, you could argue that democracy and climate change are two things that don't really work well together since we've still, I don't know which climate conference we're on right now. So we need, we need climate <laughs> dictatorship for the good. I wouldn't say that. Don't use that as a quote, <laughs> unless it's a t-shirt. <laughs> okay, but climate dictatorship for better, for good. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. What about AI dictatorship? Okay, but let's, uh, at least one more question about ethical, because you know yep. you can speak forever about this. But <clears throat> okay, let's say that we want to now have an, um, a medical AI system. Let's let's go back to self-driving cars. I think you know why not. Okay, now we want to build in the best type of ethics we can think of in the car, and there are a number of ways to do that. Of course, we can have you know rule-based system manually programmed by by humans, or we can have a more data-driven approach where you simply learn, hopefully not by killing millions of people and then learning, but hopefully a bit quicker. Do you have any thoughts, you know, should, should we have humans writing rules to define what is ethical or not? Or can it be a purely data-driven approach to learn what is ethical or not? I don't think if we have access to all the data, mm. I don't think we can combine data and the 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 way we perceive democracy as today because then we will prioritize more 
people who contribute more to society over people who do less because then it'll be a purely economic system right oh yeah but that could be applied both for humanly coded rules as well as data driven is yes definitely um I certainly don't have the answer. For no, that I don't know. I just it's, uh, it's a too complicated question. I mean, we've seen it recently in the pandemic, yeah. where we, I think, for the first time, prioritized uh, short-term elderly prioritization over long-term uh, children prioritization. But is it because we, we, we bring the word ethics into this? Because if you ask Elon Musk, and you can watch the video when he's talking when the car is driving from Los Angeles to San Francisco, he's basically saying, you know what, don't even try to program this. Yeah. <laughs> this is data of data of billions of data. And we are now, and he's, he's going quite into detail of, you know, how they have learned what is the lane, you know, what what is the drivable lane, you know, it's, it's a core metric, yeah. right? Where, where does the car fit? Still, and for the, me, the, this is data driven yeah. to the max. But yeah. what he also said, though, which is obvious is, you know, that the one core rule for Tesla's yes. is never crash. Yeah. And that is a hard coded rule. Okay. Now, At least one. It's <laughs> like a, the robotics laws almost. Yeah. For, All for Tesla, Asimov's laws. Yeah. No, I agree with that. Obviously, data driven for autonomy. But if a situation occurs where there's an adult yeah. and a child, and yeah. it has We're to be a conversation, yeah, so it, but if you have enough data points, <laughs> <laughs> true. But the problem is you, you don't want to collect like a million data points about killing uh, no. two million dogs and one million people. No, but so then, but then, so then, then, then we end up with some sort of combination. Yeah, we, yeah, we end up so. with some sort of combination. Yeah, I think so. Perhaps, yeah. As long as we don't speak about hybrid AI, because then I get uh, annoyed. But okay, <laughs> oh, this is a <laughs> no, no, new no. Term. Let's not go there. <laughs> okay, cool. Okay, so that was you know. I didn't. He opened up Pandora's box. Hybrid AI. What the hell is that? I don't know what is that. Okay, no. I don't. You know, it's just as you shouldn't talk about you know suicide. You shouldn't speak about how to make nuclear weapons, and you shouldn't speak about how to build bombs. Neither should you speak about hybrid AI. Okay, so so let's, let's close it with that. So we'll leave it that as a cliffhanger and everybody can Google it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, I think we can close. I, I had one point, you know, potentially, but, but, but if you have some other quotes that you'd like to bring up that I may have missed, I was thinking about something that we have been speaking about a bit, and I know you have been speaking about a number of times, which is digitization versus digitalization. Uh, but it's, um, yeah, well, I think we mentioned it so many times already, so perhaps it's not super interesting. I mean, I I, I don't use any of those terms that mm. much, but I know that they're both used and sometimes people use them wrongly. Yeah. I know the one one basically means just shifting whatever you do manu- physically yeah, to, shift, yeah. Yeah, to the digital world and the other one means change <laughs> for the di- digital world or according yeah, to the exactly. digital world. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, I have another uh, topic that um, I'd like to talk about because uh, I actually spoke about that yesterday quite a lot, actually. It's actually an AI Sweden thing, the NLP webinar thing. Yeah. You know, yeah. But the use case library. And uh, this is something that comes from the AI agenda work. You know, we have this big one year plus work trying to basically come up with a set of rules or some guidance for, for Swedish politicians in how to simply use AI in the best way. And, and one of the ideas of the 
crystallized 23 action points is to build up a use case factory. And it's similar to AI Sweden's data factory. That's exactly where the term came from. That is not sufficient perhaps to simply have a data factory, but actually have some kind of use case factory to, to make people learn, you know, how, how to use it. Or, and, and you have worked a lot with this. So you built up uh, a use case library as well. So what is it? <coughs> well, basically, the idea came, I think, came around two and a half years from discussions with you and others that people don't understand AI unless we show them what AI can do. So we need a lot of examples in one place. So you as a business owner, CEO or politician or a citizen can go in and say, okay, I'm in work in forestry. What can it do for me? And understand it in super simple terms. Mm. And once you've read a few cases, then you start seeing the patterns. Yeah, then you see the patterns Mm. and start to build that. Great idea. And we started building it last year together with also a reactor. And uh, I think currently Paltorian is working on materializing it and we're trying to collaborate on creating this and we i think we have 140 different use cases uh, and the key a key important factor is also to package them with simple simple language so we yeah, don't yeah. fall in the trap of using tech i still think you, you should be allowed to use tech though but because, so so, uh, so come it could be an expand but now yes. i get curious so now we are sitting here with the challenge to crack, how do I present use cases in a very pedagogical format? And this is a good tips and tricks for anyone to to learn. So, so what is the tips and tricks? What are you doing? Can we look at it or can we? Yeah, usecaselabrary.ai, right? Or what's oh, I don't know. Is it up right now? Perhaps <laughs> I shouldn't say it. <laughs> Sorry. I don't know. It might be. But maybe you can Check elaborate on yeah. how do you, what what is a good use know. case? Uh, I'm, an, I'm not sure if it's public yet, so perhaps we should well, We can just show it up. It's, it's sure okay. Uh, so I think it, it is use case library.ai. Yeah, I think we have one version yeah. there as well. It's it's a beta work in progress, trying yeah. to facilitate a lot of st- different if stuff. If you just write in the address field, in the address field above there, yeah, yeah. 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 use case library.ai, I think. But what we started with was to try to describe it in the in simplest possible way. Oh, uh, perhaps there's a there's a weird uh, tilde over the eye in library. The the eye there has a, a diphthong. It caused it easier to. Yeah, it's a weird eye in library. Yeah, just rewrite it. Yeah. <laughs> No one is seeing what we're doing right now. Yeah, no, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, nice. Yeah, just accept cookies, talking about the cookie. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> cookie law. Yeah. Who doesn't love that? Yeah, so I think if you, just, if you scroll down here. Um. Uh, but, but just to, to give at least some people listening, you know, what is the, can you give in a single example of, you know, what is what constitutes a use case yeah. or how how is it presented describe the problem in tweet format or former tweet format 140 mm-hmm. characters so 140 characters yeah. yeah very very shortly what's the problem what's the opportunity how how what could the the solution be mm-hmm. and what's the data required to make this happen and what technology and then 
read more if you're interested and point somewhere where so, they actually. But I think this is important because what's what's the problem? What's the opportunity? Yeah. But you also give an understanding of you know what are the data you would need and what are the, what are the type of algorithms and technology you would need. Yes. So you, so your your problem uh, solution and decomposure of the core ingredients. Yes. Lovely. Here we have. This is a maybe not the most sexy use case, but urgency detection for customer complaints. The challenge: angry customers is left at, uh, unattended or not identified because people are have different skills. At this the opportunity is to handle this well in as short as possible terms. Mm. And the role the role of AI here is probably obviously to to help mitigate and identify these use cases and help the organization. So, so here you have laid it out a little bit, like, like is that it? It's like, or is it like, then you can yeah, and then we've just like classified it. Yeah, yeah. And here you have like an, an end use case, retail text, that's it. Yeah, yeah. Missing hinges. Yes, we want to have. We want to. We want the the main purpose, and I think this is important to stick through, is just to have people understand what's the possibility. Yeah, because I think that's one key to AI readiness for organizations is understanding what are the opportunities for our organization. Yeah, I think this is one part of what of, of what this is good for. But I think also this demystifying of what is the underlying type of math. So this yeah. is text classification. This is, you know, this is this type of problem. Yeah, and I think also for us, who's worked in many different problems and industries it's kind of natural to see okay i understand this oh then it can be applied somewhere else because now you understand the pattern of the problem yeah. if i have this frame I, i have something and i know what the result should be yes this is this type of problem is this type of algorithm but if you've worked in fashion your entire life and you, and you, and you see oh here's a, an image recognition uh, model for forestry i don't understand that. i'm working forestry Exactly. You don't make the connection. You don't make the connection that the underlying pattern problem is the same mathematical problem. No. So who mm. writes these uh, use cases? Is it customers that are coming, just basically leaving some kind of a tweet? No, currently it's just a working group has put these yeah. few up. But mm. we've had a, a larger group contribute to, to up until 140. But the idea mm. is to... Because it would be great if you have, because the challenge and the opportunity, there is like the minus... You know, it's the zero and the ten, yeah. and in between is actually the hinder, right? So, what is hindering you for getting the opportunity, right? So, when you identify that, you know exactly where do you need to go. Yeah, and that is actually where the the magic happens. Is not in the challenge because the challenge can be a very fluffy one, but if you cannot define the hinder, yeah, then you are in trouble because the challenge is like, hey, I have a challenge, I cannot use this, right? Uh, but do you want to use it? Yes, I want to. But do you know how to come to that? What is the specific pain that you have? And that is basically where you get it. Yeah, so I agree. I think that's a great idea. And I think that should be added as soon as we have maybe 20 use cases. Yeah. Like, fold down. Okay, I want to do this. What are the steps? Yeah, but it's even better if you can do it. You don't have to have the hinders yourself. But if your readers can actually put the hinders, that is, or the, 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 the things that are stopping them from reaching that opportunity, Then actually, yeah. you can collect the the knowledge that you need in order to move forward. Because you can identify the challenge and the opportunity, but the hinder is going to come from the person who is actually sitting and working with that. Yeah, true. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. 
Yeah, except we we also taking this idea. Uh, sorry. We're also um, using the same idea for one of the big Vinova projects that is also AI Sweden is working with, which is the Swedish language model for Swedish authorities project. And we're just trying to basically come up with a use case library for just to work inside that project. Good, yeah. And and also connected to some set of best practices or something. Yeah, so, have, so here you have the technique. And out of this technique, you are, you are, we can apply this well, technique. technique. I would say it is focused on use cases for sure. But it's a bit more technical because it does include, you know, what techniques are used, but it also adds contact information. So the idea is to keep it really short. I think the yes. key point is really what you say, say to keep it concise, because if you publish a long length report of 200 pages, no one will ever use that. But yep. if you can find a really concise description of this is what we used it for, the use case. This is the techniques we use. These are the challenges when it comes to legal data, code mm. deployment. And we try to list them. And then, you know, if someone wants to read more, we have a set of links to read more. If there is a blog article somewhere or some demo app or something, but, but then there is a contact information. If you <coughs> want to know more, contact these people. Just so I understand, or also the listeners understand <coughs> the difference. I think this is super useful. Yeah. But here you have it in the context of the Swedish BERT model. Yeah, yeah, the Swedish so language model project. So you, ha you have a Swedish language model project. So we're, we're, we are now evolving technique, AI techniques for this, you know. Yeah. And here we are now exploring use case theme. Uh, you know, out of this, out of this, you, you're, you're exploring themes that has that where you can utilize the Swedish language model. Yeah, is that, what is we're that, seeing, I mean, yeah, I mean, I think the core idea of the use case library is so profound. And we can see even, you know, in a project where we are Batarian Rice, we're the tax authority with the employment agency and the National Library and a number of other big organizations. But even, you know, us working together internally in this project, we have a really hard time to get an overview. We have a really hard time to see, you know, they in tax authority did this thing. But what did they really do? Can I, can I find a link to read more about it? Who, who should I contact to, to know more about this? To simply do that internally allows us to collaborate a bit more. And imagine, you know, if it's hard for us internally inside this project to have an overview, it will be impossible for someone externally. So then, you know, to think, you know, when this project is finished, how can we really disseminate or communicate this properly? I think this type of use case library metaphor or format is super useful. I think the format is very, very powerful. Yep. And I think it's also uh, very <coughs> important to acknowledge that to concretize, yeah. concretize, an example is something that's very, very scary for most people. That's why it's so seldom happens and why in the beginning of projects, we kind of skip that step. We stay one level above it. I think Katarina Gospich speaks about yeah. this because when you, when you go all the way down to explaining exactly what's going to happen, then you become accountable. Mm. If you stay one level above that, then you can kind of, you don't have to be accountable for it and we can still explore and you don't have to be responsible for anything. I, oh, I, you, you are hitting a raw nerve yeah. that I fully agree with here. And I've been in several projects where basically, and I've I, I, been accountable for this problem myself. You don't articulate the problem in such a sharp way so you can actually solve it exactly how it's supposed yeah. to be done. And, and, and I have, I have several anecdotes on this actually, but I don't want to go in there, but it's, this is profound as well yes. that when you, you know, and, and I, I give you an example. Oh, we have a use case called profitability. Give me a break. We can talk about profitability in relation to anything of our, in, in a business process. So you need to be, what's the metric we are trying to fix? And, and ultimately 
those operational metrics, it seems to be quite hard to dig out, as you highlight. But in reality, that's the real use case. That's the real business case. And that, that, that tells me something. You understand your problem. Now I can fix it. I don't think you can even really fix an AI problem or a data problem if you're not that precise. No. And I, I would go as far as saying, I mean, we're the masters. We're probably best in the world at setting goals that are stated as we're going to be the best at something. We're going to be the best in the world at life science or whatever. I would say that's not a goal. It's not even a strategy because you can always post-construct being best. It's yes. not a measurable goal. No. Cool. We have only like 15 minutes left, but <clears throat> I'd like to move into more fun, philosophical kind of discussion as oh. well, if we uh, yeah, can go in that direction. And <clears throat> one of the, the one of the core ideas we speak about a lot is the so-called AI divide, meaning uh, basically we have <clears throat> a few set of tech giants in the world, the big you know U.S. and Chinese tech companies. That is, you know, knowing they have the data, they know how to use the data, they have the infrastructure, they have the knowledge, they have the innovation, the research team, and they can basically dominate yeah, the, the world in some extent. If you look at the most valuable companies in 2019, it's Google, it's Facebook, it's Amazon, it's Apple, and it's Baidu, it's uh, Alibaba and, and Tencent. And... It seems like you know they know how to use data and AI to an extreme that is much bigger than I think people understand. The gap is bigger than people realize. And they have research that allows them to look 10 years ahead you know, from the, where they are today. And then if you look at a normal company, they're struggling to even get you know data collected because of they're afraid about GDPR. They, they don't have the understanding how to use the latest techniques. And this kind of big divide between normal companies and the few tech giants I would argue is much bigger than people understand. Would you agree with that? I would agree with that fully. It's it's insane how yeah. how big of the big of a difference it is to be a company in Europe and in the US. Yeah. But uh, is, this is, is this is this a societal concern? I mean like I I even had that as part of the Data Innovation Summit keynote this year that this is a societal concern, you know, that if 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 this this growing divide, it, it's a new type of rich and poor and it's in, you know it's going to drive a lot of bad stuff out of, out of that situation if if you if you take that to the extreme what where that could lead us is my is is, is that over over exaggerating <coughs> no, i'm really scared no I, I agree because what those companies do in china and the us spill over and affect all other sectors yes because people move around and become leaders in other sectors or they share technology and move in other sectors. So healthcare and schooling are going to advance faster as well, mm -hmm. as well will politics, mm -hmm. because obviously those big companies affect policies in the US yes. and China as well, much, much faster than we do here. And then on top of that, they have a f in China... A one a one long year pl long plan that they give money to, and in the U.S. they have the world's biggest free market, so it's easy to scale there. Yeah, but we have talked about this now. What is the real societal concern of this? Why is this a problem for society? Why is this a problem? I mean, like, are we just jealous, or, wh or why is it really a problem? You have, I, you have a better chance of survival if you get cancer today in the U.S. and have money than you have in Sweden. This is one core that in inequality is it feeds inequality yeah. i think it's important to point out you know it is if you have money in the us yeah and if you have money in china as well i would argue yeah. yes um, 
And if you take like the normal average company in US and compare it to an average company in, in Europe, I think, you know, the European average company is not that far behind or even no. potentially ahead. It is like a big divide. That's that's the, you know, the core issue that there is a couple of <coughs> few companies that are super successful. Yeah. And but unfortunately, we have none of those since in Europe. That is a big But problem. also in the top 100, I think. Actually, in the top 100 yeah. in the US and the top 100 in Sweden, per capita, the investments are bigger yeah. into yeah. AI. Yes. But uh, I, I want to try. I mean, like, I, my understanding is that it, I think it's better for society or economy, Arbuslesiet, like uh, where, all, all this stuff, if we can manage the disruption, so to speak, from within our organizations today. So it's going to be a painful journey of, of, of job allocation or re- reallocation and all that kind of stuff. But when that happens from within an organization, rather from a force from, you know, somewhere else that comes in and completely disrupts an industry, I, I, I think that's going to have a much more, you know, more difficult impact on our economy. So we have a really painful journey to, to sort of catch up and, and disrupt ourselves. But the alternative is that someone else is disrupting. I mean, you know, we, we, are, we have talked about what happens when Amazon comes yeah. uh, to Sweden, right? So I, I think that's, for me, that we will have knock-on effects in, 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 in jobs and all that that yeah. will be look very, very different if we, you know, if we do it, if it, we are the drivers of our own change versus we are forced into it for, you know, and not being prepared at all. Yeah, and I think that, that requires honesty and vulnerability yes so a simple question then how do we fix that <laughs> i love it 10 uh, minutes <clears throat> wow uh, i think we above all we need signal value and inspiration mm-hmm. we need to start to encourage and celebrate those who dare uh, but i would say definitely with it, we need political leadership yeah. And investment, as we said. Well, I like that T-shirt. Celebrate those who dare. Yeah. And by the way, we spell dare, data, AI, ready, <laughs> dare. Celebrate those who dare. I love it. Awesome. Uh, one more topic. I think we can, yeah, we have time. Okay. So let's move to the singularity. And um, are you, for one, concerned? You know, we, we have a number of... Famous people, we spent, you know, we, we already spoke about Elon Musk, of course, and he, he had made statements like, you know, AI could be the biggest threat to humankind, etc. Are you agreeing with that? Or what's your thought about, you know, the potential threat that AI can have when and if we reach singularity? I've, I've dived in the Indian Ocean and see the corals, the mm. dead corals. And uh, I know we have currently 414 ppm in our atmosphere. I'm not worried about singularity. I'm worried about other things. <laughs> That's a, such a good statement. So because it's it's worry about the stuff that we will die for <laughs> yes, in the next okay. 50 years. And which we can use AI to mitigate. Yeah. So AI can mitigate all these other problems. So if, we, if, if it freezes us to do what we really need to do, it's the wrong focus. Then we can start worrying about singularity. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. It's hard to even continue the discussion. Uh, after I don't that. know. It's like you know, it's, it's almost a, like an ending quote. Yeah, you want to end with that. Um, but okay, uh, of course, and I certainly agree. And I think the whole agenda twenty thirty, you know, goals that we have for say, sustainability is something uh, that we dearly need to use AI to be able to have any chance of it achieving in ten years. Of course, yeah. but still, you know, agreed what you said. But let's just you know think fifty years ahead then, or. 
20 years ahead. Or Ray Kirchwald says, you know, 2029, yeah, 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 we like, will reach uh, singularity. Yeah, but I'll, I'll entertain the thought because I've got the question. Uh, will we, when that point occurs, will we still be around? Or will, will the we, point occur? Well, if it... What do you think so? Opinion. Uh, mm. We have a joke. Put, put a number on it. When? 2,500 maybe? Whoa. That's even more than... Uh, maybe 2,200. But I, I'm also maybe very pragmatic about it because if the question is, okay, what's the problem? Will they see us as a, th- as a threat? Mm. Well, then it's up to us to to earn the right to be still if, be around. If, if we try to take at least two different definitions of singularity, it, it could be one definition that is commonly used is that of control, mm. <laughs> saying they not may not be more generally intelligent than us, but it will be a point where we can't pull the plug anymore, so to speak. They can create and propagate, so to speak, perhaps not in a biological sense, but still, they can grow and become independent of us, and at, there will be a point where we, we simply can't turn it off, so to speak. That is often what Elon Musk speaks about. And, um, and then the question is, you know, when we lose control, will we do that? And, and what happens if we do that? Um, if we use that term, do, do you think we, there will be a point where we simply can't pull the plug of a machine and they will just, you know, be able to, to live without us, so to speak? I have a hard time imagining that. I think cognition is not enough to uh, to drive survival. I think there's more factors involved. I, I don't think if we create true cognition, uh, even super intelligence level, consciousness or yeah, consci- yeah, yeah, consciousness. Good, thanks. Yeah. Even at the super intelligence level, I don't see the driving factor for that. Mm. to want to evolve or want to live. Mm. So I'm not sure. Mm. I, I sometimes speak about, you know, we have an illusion of control today, I think. Yes. I don't have control of you. You can control me. You can try. Probably can, perhaps. I don't know. But there are so many things that we can't control. I can't, con- can't control the weather. At some point, I think we can, but not today. And, and we live in a world where most of the things that we interact with, we have no control over whatsoever. But suddenly there is this point where some machines suddenly become out of control and we are super scared about that. That for one, I would actually be kind of happy um, if there is something that is probably more intelligible and certainly more knowledgeable than, than me to help me. And also given the inherent urges that we are born with, that mm-hmm. make us this close from genocides and other horrible acts, yeah. this machine, what's to say that that's more horrible than us? Exactly. And or I think every, ev- everything that we've seen in the evolu- evolu- evolution of, of humans has been that we go towards more and more being civilized. Yeah. So increased knowledge and increased intelligence potentially leads to increased civilized society. So, but what, what, is, what is the core when even quite knowledgeable people are, are sort of raising concerns or, or highlight that this is could be scary, 
what, why are they scared? And what, what, is it a doomsday yeah. okay. prophecy? Or, okay. you know, take Elon no, Musk I mean, that we respect. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a, that's a good question. So why is Elon Musk saying this? The person that's probably using AI more the than most anyone. The most than yeah. And um, do, do you have any, I can give my, but we'd like to hear yours first. So I what, Why would Elon much. Musk say this? Who yeah. knows AI why, better than I? Why do you think he, he even says, you know, we need to regulate AI more. Why, do you have any thoughts about that? <clears throat> Does he know something we don't know? <laughs> I mean, I think <laughs> I don't know the I, I know the I don't know the end mm. uh, motivation to it, but I could guess that the steps towards uh, a self-conscious superintelligence is are really scary. Mm. So if we Good regulate point. the this way, this is actually one of my core points. Yeah. I don't, so just to you know make that what I didn't more, get that. So elaborate yeah. on this. So I think narrow intelligence is much more dangerous than general intelligence. The thing that happened if someone built a, a really intelligent, uh, you know, trading machine that can, you know, completely dominate and disrupt the whole economical market, that would be, you know, dangerous and, and cause a crash again, once again, that can really destroy the whole society that we have. And it's probably most as most dangerous before we lose control of it. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Lose control and, you know, narrow intelligence that can do small things like, you know, build a drone that can go and kill people at will, you know, that's something we can do potentially today, but we have been, been able to keep that unwrapped, so to speak, because of regulation and the ethical values we have. But that would be, of course, super dangerous. Or some a a AI that can build some kind of, you know, biological web weapon, a coronavirus number two, um, or something that could be super scary, of course. But... I think that this is partly what uh, Elon Musk is thinking about. We need to have, for one, he's speaking about, you know, we need to have insight before we have oversight. Um, so insight basically means we, we need to understand what is happening. And then when we understand, we need to be able to, to do, you know, the proper regulation. And, and the thing, the positive thing, because I don't want to end with this kind of <laughs> doomsday, kind of dystopian kind of thinking, but the positive thing is we've been able to do this a number of times in the past. So we've been able to do that for genomics. We've been able to do that for nuclear weapons. And I think we can easily do it for AI as well, but we need to do it now. And, and that is really the point that he's trying to make in my view, because we could wait 10 years for biological weapons to not happen or chemical weapons not to happen. And we could went, wait um, 10 years before you know, we were able to clone Dolly and or clone humans and whatnot. But for AI, 10 years ahead, it could be too late, potentially. Mm. It goes so much faster. So he, he compares it usually to this kind of seatbelt argument that you know, before you had regulation in cars to, to have seatbelts, you know, hundreds of people, of hundreds of thousands of people were killed because the automotive makers were fighting this regulation to the extreme. But it's also still okay, it's just 100,000. But it could be, if we don't do this in time, worse for AI. But I think, you know, obviously, since he's using it the most of everyone, he thinks we will, will be able to do it, but we just need to start thinking about it and have the insight before we do the oversight. Was that too long or too strange? Or no, did it make sense? No, insight before, because it also means that in order to get <clears throat> to oversight, to get to insight, you, you kind of need to start working on it as well. Yeah. And I mean, actually, in, in a way, he understands it also from a, from a point of view of one who is really, really doing it and yeah. learning it. Yeah. 
he's committing to deploy all the time. Yeah, but already, I mean, already now the AI techniques in production mm. has the potential to disrupt the entire entire market. Yes, I mean, Google has insights into probably they could probably disrupt the economic market today if they just ignore the regulations. Yes, and I think what he says is he's urging the politicians or wake or up to wake bit. up and yeah. look at the bigger picture. Yeah. Mm. I mean, I really like that, you know, being able to think long term ahead and really have the, the holistic view. I think you mentioned it so many times now already, and it's something that more people simply should do. But um, at the same time, you should not only look at one side of the coin. I think you you're an expert in that and saying, how ethical is it not to use AIs? And if we have any chance to, to reach the sustainability goals of Agenda 2030, we need to do it now, right? Yes. And I think one thing that <coughs> maybe is not necessarily dependent on AI, but mm. data, yeah. is the data is objective. And there's a lot of truths and topics that we are too uncomfortable to discuss. Because when I say something to you, it makes you uncomfortable because it feels like I'm challenging you. But if we can use data's objectivity then we can tackle the problems and mm. actually address them because no one needs to feel threatened. Yeah. And we can have a more informed discussion in some way. Yes. Because we mm. have some yeah, information to talk about. Cool. Awesome. Um, oh, Jesus. Over. Okay, sorry. I was hoping to be able to, to take one more talk. But okay, no, let's not do that. Ah, that's good. Kai, what's next in your life? Personally, professionally? Personally, hopefully some skiing, depending on European travel restrictions yeah. <laughs> uh, or travel just in general. Are you one of those sitting and looking at what, what, what about Italy? What about France? You yes. know, is that what you're doing right now? Switzerland. Yeah. Sweden. So who, who are you betting on right now? I'm hopefully hoping on, uh, on Switzerland. Yeah. Um, yeah. But my, my assignment with AI Sweden runs until the summer. Mm. Uh, and looking into some grants together with India to oh. pursue some deep learning and agriculture projects that we've oh, talked about before. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then working with some other companies and projects on the side. Mm. So it's, but and still it's staying, staying in AI. Yeah. Sounds great. Cool. If you were to recommend someone to come on this podcast, who would you recommend? I would probably uh, recommend Martina Wallenberg, head of open data at SCB. Mm. Interesting. Uh, because she has a really good um, mind and thinking about how to use data to run an entire organization to kind of go beyond human gut feeling to take business decisions. That sounds like a really good framing of a theme. How to use data to run an enterprise. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Anything else? Otherwise, you know. Fantastic. Very good. Always a pleasure to speak to you. It's uh, it's always you have this kind of informative, and you know, you always get a, I get a bit in awe sometimes how <laughs> well you can just you know phrase something in a few words, and it's such an, a skill that I'm envious uh, that you have. Well, thank you. And, uh, <laughs> I've learned so much from you as well. So it's always a true pleasure, Kai. I, I hope you have an awesome uh, continued weekend day, and, and uh, hope to see you soon. Thank you. Take care. Cool.